You're listening to the Tag Team Podcast, the podcast that is a WWE Network companion, currently covering 1984 WWF Tuesday Night Titans. And now here are your Tag Team Podcast hosts, Jeff Jones and John Burke. Salutations, I'm John Burke. Episode 7. Episode 8. Well, it's the one we're doing now, but episode seven, I love. <laughs> episode eight, he did not, so he's not going to mention it. That's very true. That's Jeff Jones. This is episode eight, August 7th, 1984. It was a good year, 84. I like it. Yeah, it was okay. It's the 80s, we had all good music. MTV was actually MTV. Yeah, that's true. 84 did have actual music on television, not reality shows. It was good, I'm telling you. It was what it said as it was, <laughs> as Dennis Green would say, football reference. Or who we thought they were. So, what have you been doing? We've been off on hiatus, even though the listeners wouldn't know that. No, getting things around the house um, in order. Good deal. To put it nicely, just living life, work. Living it up. Yeah, I'm trying to get into some different things and see what kind of trouble I can get into. There you go. Kim Batera, beware. No McDonald's here, though. <laughs> Just more of a Hardy's guy. Oh, definitely. Definitely. What's been going on in your neck of the woods? Well, I had a birthday, so that was good and bad. It sucks to get older, but it's nice to get stuff, and I got a few things. I took my yearly sabbatical to Chapel Hill. That's what I like to do on my birthday, go down there. And since we're celebrating a championship win this year, men's basketball, I spent money on that type of merchandise. Oh? Yep, a bunch of overpriced t-shirts and things like that. Nice. What position did you play? I was center couch. Ah, best seat in the house. Rooting them on to victory as we go we instead of the team. I mean, it's all about the fans anyways. Exactly. Without us, there is no million dollar program. Pretty much. That's what I've heard anyway. It's just rumors. Went there, got some stuff, did a little family thing on Sunday, and did a little family thing on Saturday. Saturday, did a little cookout, and Sunday was sushi, and I looked up, and lo and behold, the WWE got me something for my birthday as well. You don't say. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we have new episodes of Tuesday Night Titans added to the network, first time in two years. I did see that, but I wasn't sure when they were added, and I was a little skeptical about if they were going to play. It was May 19th, at least in the list that I have. They added episode 59, 62 for 1985, and 86, they added 68, 71, 74, 80, 81, 82, 83, 87, 88, 89, 92, 95, 96, and 99. So the podcast lives on. Glorious! Exactly. Someone is listening up in Connecticut, and they know that we need more episodes down the road, so they're helping us out. I think it's my postcard that I sent all originally. Probably was. Probably was. Promotion is power. That's the strongest. Hey, we need some more to do. <laughs> Start putting them on air. I thought it was pretty nice of them to do that for my birthday. I didn't even have to ask or anything. So, yeah. Granted, it's not every episode. We have a while before we get to 1985. So, maybe they'll get some more and fill in the gaps by the time we get there. Oh, most definitely. Unless there's some more embarrassing moments with Vince that he decides that it's not a good idea to post that on there. Yeah, it is at his discretion on what gets revamped or edited out. Lots of editing. Yep. Especially this episode. This is true. And speaking of episodes, 
episode seven. Previously on the Tag Team Podcast. We had Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes, as always, open up the show. Vince McMahon recognized Lord Alfred Hayes as one of the original knights of the round table. And then we had Captain Lou Albano. He joined the TNT set with his usual women bashing and topping smack. And also Lou did want a rematch to prove that the match was not called correctly, that technically Moolah won. And we had the victory party footage of Wendy Richter. Then we moved on to Sergeant Slaughter in action against Adonis and Murdoch. After that, we had the Lord Alfred Hayes famous viewer mailbag. It was a very reserved mailbag, as you could say. One way of putting it. We had the infamous Jesse Ventura and Ivan Putsky arm wrestling match. We had interviews with the tag team champions, the Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. Probably the most entertainment segment of the show was Adrian Adonis and Mean Gene Okerlund in New York, showing where Adrian Adonis grew up. I concur. Like Mean Gene was most entertainment for me. He's always a character. And next on the set, we had Chief J. Strongbow attempt to get into the number one seat, but the tag team champions felt that he belongs on the end as he was not a champion. Then we took it to the ring and had a clip of Chief Strongbow versus Tony Russo. And we see why that Chief J. Strongbow was sitting on the other side of the couch due to the sloppy ring performance. <laughs> <laughs> and to wrap it up, we had Chief J. Strongbow's doing a powwow segment with the one and the only tag team champions to help brighten the mood. And there was something missing from episode seven. Oh. And I caught it a little bit later. Let's go to a clip, the end clip of episode six and what Vince was promising us for episode seven. And speaking of big men, on the next TNT, 460 pounds, I believe, a man from Stone Mountain, Georgia, Crusher Blackwell. I guess the network couldn't edit that part out, but they tried their damnedest to black it out with louder music towards the end, so you couldn't hear it, but I caught it. So Crusher Blackwell, absent. Yes, and Bosley has the reason why. Where was Crusher Blackwell and why was he not in episode 7? The rumor for years is that Jerry Crusher Blackwell was invited by Vince and showed up at the TV tapings ready to work in 1984, when TNT episode 7 was about to be taped. Keep in mind, he already had a run with WWE, known as WWWF, in 1976 and 1978, so he wasn't a stranger. However, the story goes that at the last minute, Jerry got cold feet about ditching the AWA where he was red hot. So he walked out of TV tapings without getting into the ring, went back to the AWA, and the rest is history. Take that, Vince. Wow. Someone's standing him up. Yep, stood him up. So I don't need your money. AWA for life. Or until they close. Good luck getting a job there. Yeah, I saw some footage of him when ESPN was running AWA Classic on their ESPN Classic Network. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't too impressed, but I don't know. Maybe it was, it was huge in the 80s. But if I remember him correctly, it's been about eight years now. He looked like one-man gang. He was just a big round. Guy, type to you. So we didn't really miss anything? No, I don't think he would have been that big in the WWF at the time. He would have maybe at best took Gorilla Monsoon's place of just a big guy that can do big guy stuff, but I don't think he would have ever held any titles or anything unless it was a tag title with somebody. Well, good. At least it wasn't a huge blow to Vince's ego. No, not really. I don't think the fans missed out on anything. Maybe in 78, 79, before I was born, maybe he had a great run. I don't know. Had 
considering that footage. Well, good thing Bosley's on the case there. Yeah, that's what we got him for. So, we had Ken Batera in this episode, and we kind of went over this in episode one of Kenny's McDonald's past. Let the world know about Hedger Tantrum. Okay. <laughs> if you go on YouTube, there's a few clips out there, depending on whose side you want. You got Ken Batera's, totally not biased. Yeah, right. And you got Ken Batera's on Ric Flair's podcast, which would probably be the newest version, which Ric Flair believes Ken Batera, but whatever. And then you got a little bit unbiased opinions, like Larry Sabisco, who was in the AWA at the time, so he kind of had first-hand knowledge of this when it went down. And then you have an opinionated Jim Cornette. So if you want to watch any of those, just type in Kim Batera McDonald's YouTube, and there'll be some links, and we'll put them up on the website, and you can just choose. Just warning for the people that have kids, if you do the Kim Batera one, it's probably got the most cussing in it out of all of them. He kind of has a bad mouth. So you're telling me Jim Cornette had an opinion on it? Yeah, and didn't have that much uh, cussing in it or any of that I can really recall. Because he don't have an opinion on much. I'm glad they could get him out. No, yeah, he pretty much keeps to himself. Speaking of uh, Cornette, I'm looking forward to watching his table for three on the network if we go off gear for a second. Looks pretty interesting. Him, Bischoff, and P.S. Hayes. So Jim Cornette, Freebird, and Eric Bischoff. Should be an interesting watch. They're actually going to keep it on the network? Somehow I made it on there. I guess that's how Jim Cornette was able to stay on there. Michael was able to be the mediator. Probably so. I don't know how much beef he has with Bischoff. Quite a bit, actually. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. He was in WCW at the time when Bischoff was just an announcer. I don't remember exactly what it is. He talked about it in one of his shows, and it wasn't very good. Awesome. Well, then it should be an interesting table for three. Uh, yes, to say the least. Anyway, back to 1984. The short story of Batera, he went to McDonald's for Seito. Pretty much all the stories agree on that. He wanted food. They were closed. He saw burgers. Turns out those were for a local commercial they were filming, and they've been there for minutes, hours, depending on which story, and they wouldn't sell it to him because, I guess, McDonald's protocol of selling food that's been out cold for whatever. Lawsuits, I guess, even in 84. So he got mad, picked up a, a rock, really a boulder, and threw it through the window. Kim Batera's version is a person they fired two days ago just happened to come by at this time and retaliated for being fired two days ago at 12 a.m. and threw the rock and Ken just happened to be there. That's his version. But at any rate, the rock went through and Batera was at the Holiday Inn that was nearby and according to one version, he shouted that so they knew where he was staying because he said if you want to do something about him, I'm staying at the Holiday Inn. So they called the cops. Ken was in the room but didn't answer the door. Saito did. Saito doesn't speak English that well, so that's when the melee started, and then Ken jumped in, and yeah, that's basically where the prison time came in. So, that's the short gist and summary of all the stories that we can all agree upon. So you're saying a miscommunication started the whole altercation? At least with the police department, yeah. I guess there was no sympathy on the police department when the guy couldn't speak English. Mm, no, not really. Oh. Good old Waukesha finest police department in Wisconsin. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> you know, speak English. Smack you. Yeah. Got it. Or Ken. He's like, what's going on? Why are people beating my buddy? Yeah, exactly. And he joins in on the melee. Yeah. Not knowing they were cops by any means. Exactly. So that's the Kim Batera McDonald's story. And we'll probably make reference to Kenny McDonald's a few times since he's now part of the program. It looks like to me, this episode was not on YouTube. But I didn't find it. Did you find it? Didn't find it. I even checked the place where you're not supposed to download stuff. Yahoo. And I couldn't find the full episode of it either. Yahoo. Yes. Kind of a bummer because they had technical difficulties, allegedly, on this transmission on the network. We're missing stuff. So we'll go over exactly what we didn't see, but we won't have too much detail on stuff we couldn't see. Just to let you know what we missed. Ready for some territory talk, Jeff? Let's start talking. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory. Wrestling territories. And for you youngsters out there, <laughs> wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you, but at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country. Territory talk. Last time we covered All-Star Wrestling from Vancouver and Portland Wrestling with Pacific Northwest. This time we're going to cover Quebec, Montreal, Canada. Hey. Exactly. Bosley, if you will, International Wrestling Association. Territory Talk Montreal, Quebec, International Wrestling Association, IWA, the city of Montreal. Quebec has a rich wrestling history, served for much of the early part of the 20th century by legendary promoter Eddie Quinn and his International Wrestling Association brand name. By the mid-60s, Johnny Rouge and Bob Langevin had taken over the IWA brand, running shows under that banner until 1975. By the 1980s, Montreal saw the formation of a group called Promotions Verusac headed by Frank Valois, André the Giant, Gino Brito, and Dino Bravo. This group joined in a short-lived partnership with the WWF in 1985 and closed shop in 1987. Montreal was also served by a promotion headed by Butcher Paul Vachon in the early 1970s under the Grand Prix Wrestling banner. Yeah, a lot of WWF talent from that area. Andre the Giant, Dino Bravo. Side note, you ever want to see how a wrestler passed? Dino Bravo probably has the best story. And then we have Butcher Paul Vachon. Everyone's favorite singer slash TNT inaugural loser. He's still my favorite. He's gotta be up there. I could sing and he could lose to Jimmy Fly Snooker <laughs> like no one else. I that was a given though. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a roll up or DQ or something. Tito knows all about this. I'm gonna leave out alone. <laughs> <laughs> Save it for later, man. Save it for later. We'll get to it. Hi, I am Bosley and I am here with Hulk Hogan. Hulk, thanks for being part of this promo for the new Tag Team Podcast Shop campaign. Sure, no problem. For each shirt or item sold, a portion goes to the Tag Team Podcast to help fund the web bandwidth cost. We have shirts starting at $24.49. Wow, that's unbelievable. If you sold all those shirts, where's my percentage? Hulk, you don't get a percentage. Some of the money goes to the Tag Team Podcast since they are their shirts. Those are my shirts. I've got a right to sell them. Do you want to cash me outside how about that? That's not what I want. Look, man, I made a mistake. I apologize. I was a real horse's ass. That's what I thought. To visit the Tag Team Pod Shop, go to shop. 
www.spreadshirt.com slash the tag team pod shop all one word or click on the link in the description of this podcast or on the side of the web page do it brother i guess i blew that one it's okay hulk our listening audience are used to it that's for damn sure Let's break down episode 8 of Tuesday Night Titans. You mean what's left of episode 8? What's left of episode 8, August 7th, 1984. I was really disappointed, to be honest with you. I was really wanting to hear what Vince McMahon would call Alfred Hayes this go-around, which I guess we'll never know. No, it doesn't seem like too much is out there, even on the interwebs, about what all took place in this episode that wasn't just written text. I guess real quick, we can go through what we didn't see, like you mentioned, Lord Alfred. Alfred Hayes and Vince McMahon opening. We didn't see that. It wasn't shown. Kamala versus Bob Marcus. Also not shown. We took a quiz and we were looking forward to this part. Kamala, his trainer, Handler, Friday, and Freddie Blassie joined TNT. And allegedly, this is where Kamala bites head off of a chicken. Or at least bites into a live chicken. Whether that was actually technical difficulties or we don't want to be sued by PETA, well, we'll never know, but it wasn't shown. And lastly, we miss Sergeant Slaughter versus D. Roger Smith. Four segments right off the bat, gone. And then we go to Kim Batera, who apparently came out at some point, and we join him in progress for our first jip on the TNT set. They're talking to Ken. Basically, Vince kind of asked him what he thought of McDonald employees, and I pulled off this clip. You don't see things quite like they do, generally, do you? No, I don't. Uh, a lot of them are arrogant. Uh, they're obnoxious. And I like to get down to the point that there are a lot of, uh, they're, uh, uh, idiots. Okay, so maybe he wasn't talking about McDonald employees, but I think deep down inside he was talking about McDonald employees. They just don't have a good sense of time. Yeah, and they don't understand a little rock-throwing competition. He didn't do it anyway, so I really don't know they're after him for. I guess because he didn't prevent the guy that was fired two days ago and just happened to come back at 12 o'clock at night to throw a boulder mm. through McDonald's. Well, when they say, do you want fries with that, and you say yes, there probably be fries in the back. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Towards the end of this segment, after he gets done telling us about how he felt about McDonald employees, we have a little Vince McMahon entertainment segment. They bring out a bar that allegedly Alfred carries around with him. Lord Alfred Hayes uh, brought along uh, this uh, three-quarter inch steel rod. I- so, yeah, I guess maybe that's for protection, you think? Even though Roddy Piper is not allowed at the studio, you never know he could be around that corner waiting. Possibly parked two blocks away with Dick and getting ready for Lord Alfred Hayes to finish what he started. Could be, but the way Roddy Piper always has that band hanging around him. Last time he was on, I think you'd hear him coming. Possibility. That's the bad part about having your own band play your music. You can always know when he's coming. Never can sneak up on anybody. Kind of like a, one of those slasher movie killers. Exactly. But he did talk about how he was the last man to set the record for the military press, which they no longer do because of the, the actual high injury rate. He set up 500 pounds. That's the record. Never to be broken officially. I think Mark Mark Henry could break it if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. He'd come out there with them flashy medals looking like a regular Kurt Angle. Exactly. Let's make him do some more dog and pony tricks. He 
perform some weightlifting expedition, I guess, dances. I don't know what you want to call it. Shows them how to do this move and that move and what this is called and that is called. It mentions he's got four medals and the Pan Am Games. I don't know who watches that, but good for you. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I was interested to see him bend the bar. That was something else. He is a pretty good party trick. Should have done that at McDonald's. I might have let him have those hamburgers. I could see him bending the bars. No bar that he couldn't bend? That jail cell is in for two years. Two years for assault and a, and a rock. Yep, don't mess with the popo. That's not. Especially if they're women. They kind of don't take that lightly in Kashaw. Yeah, nobody likes a woman beater, I don't guess. What in the world is wrong with you? Exactly. Except for David Schultz. Anyway, next match, we had Kim Batera and Billy Travis. And I believe you said you got some background on Billy Travis. Yes, I do. Billy Travis. Who is Billy Travis? Named Gary Keith Miz. Wow, not even his real name, huh? No, but he's best known as his ring name, Billy Travis, or Billy Joe Travis. I don't know where Joe come from, but all right. Probably what part of the country he's working in that week. You're in the South. Oh, well, I'm Billy Joe. I was going to say, was that a redneck joke? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> So he was an American professional wrestler who worked primarily in the southern United States from 1981 until 1988. He is most known for his time in the Continental Wrestling Association, CWA, and the USWA, and he held several tag team championships over the years. Just not for Vince. He was one of them guys. Enhancement talent. Well, in commentary for this match, we have Vince and Tony Gurria, and I didn't have too much on the match overall other than the finish. Did you? pick up anything that I might have missed. The only notes that I called in this was poor Billy Travis being thrown around like a sack of potatoes. This is like a domestic dispute what it was and when so much wrestling match. Just treating him like a cop in Wickershaw. Two tosses around the ring mm-hmm. is what I got. From one side to the other and then back and an elbow drop for the one, two, three. He was accompanied with Big Lou Albana. Big Lou has quite a stable. Got a lot of guys so far that we've seen. He gets around. This is true. If only another manager could come in in three episodes and rival his stable. Maybe. Stay tuned. So during the weightlifting, once they go back, Lord Alfred Hayes says, I can bend this rod, and he fails. It was quite entertaining. Yes. He's to take his vitamins. I think Ken told him to pack a lunch, because he's going to be there for a while trying to bend that bar. <laughs> yeah, he definitely didn't make too much headway with that bar. And I believe the rest of the conversation, he was speaking of the bodybuilders that have, have the big look that are really big and they have the great physiques but they're not really strong they just look big and they're not up to the ken patera standard yeah if you want other people that he's probably referring to there's stuff out there on youtube what is what is it on youtube there's a lot of ken patera you type that in he'd be there for days he's not very shy on his opinions him and mr schultz both i'd love to see the two of them at a wrestling convention probably be entertaining oh most definitely most definitely so next up they decide to demonstrate straight weightlifting in a different type of ordeal by stopping a moving van from going anywhere. I was sort of nervous about this whole scene as we'll say. It seemed like McMahon was as well. No, McMahon was very excited. On well, the beginning he's like, you're not holding us liable, right? Say it, say it. He was CYN for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we knew who was driving. Once he said it, he's like, okay, well, game on. <laughs> Let's do this. So I didn't need to put it in drive first or can I start from first. <laughs> <laughs> 
could go that way with it. That's what they were thinking. This van was very magical. I didn't notice if you known it or not, but magically it can change weights in just a matter of seconds. Lord Alfred Hayes is in the 5,100-pound van, and he's going he's gonna to pour it on you. That's right. 5,200 pounds, baby. 5,200 pounds. Ken Patera is going to hold it back with some massive, strong legs. Gains 100 pounds in one second. They would have waited longer. It probably would have been a 300,450-pound van. I think they knew that Vince McMahon was going to hop in there, so he was given the true weight. The weight differential. He's like, oh, well, Vince probably weighs about 100 pounds more than Alford, so... Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a 52... Yeah, I just caught that. I'm like, oh, wow. Didn't even wait that long to fabricate. Just same sentence. Just jumped up. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I figured he was going to round up, but then round up that much. 100 pounds. All right. Whatever you got to say. seemed like to me if they went a little kayfabe on the van also, once they actually showed the, the money shot, if you will. I wasn't impressed with the, the angles. No, they just saw a bunch of smoke and it tires, but no full shot of Ken actually holding the van back while the tires were rolling or the smoke. Very selective camera angles. Impress us with their wittiness, I guess. Very much so. But did Mark Henry do this? I believe he did down? something similar. Yeah, I think he did. We'll have to fact check that. Steph. Buzzley! Let's think of Mark Henry did it, obviously, afterwards. But just the same gimmick he used on down the line for a strong man. But yes, Vince is interviewing Ken Patera. We do notice that Mr. Alfred Hayes is in the driver's seat, roaring the engine ready to go. And Ken says, no, 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 no. He's not driving. He doesn't even know what the right side of the road is. And since Vince McMahon has his coat off anyway, <laughs> conveniently, outside, Ken likes Vince McMahon to drive the van, which Vince McMahon's a little, <laughs> a little more willing than he should be for my comfort if I was going to be in front of the van. <laughs> yeah, he did seem kind of over-eager to plow into Ken. He was very excited. I don't know if it was just more nervousness or what it is, but yes. But you now, as you were saying, the van, I guess I'm not a van person, but I've never seen a car actually kind of shake and <laughs> swerve to the right, to the left like it did. But we did hear, after he finished the segment, Vince was only supposed to <laughs> gun it for six seconds, not for the full almost minute that he went. Sorry, it took that long to get the producers and lighting and all them out there to shake the sides of the van to make it look like it was doing something. Well, it does take a few minutes for cruise control to sit in, so. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought was going on when the van just kept going and going and going. Wasn't smoking like it was supposed to either. They had a couple dry ice and stuff like that. Alright, start shaking the van. There you go. <laughs> Crazy, crazy segment. Yeah, it was. They should have stopped the bar. It was fun. I don't know what they were really kind of going for there. He could bend the bar, which was obviously real. Bend the bar and then just show a shot of the McDonald's. And ba -da -ba -ba -ba. I'm it. People wouldn't mess with him after that. Okay, <laughs> and just put a rock beside him. <laughs> exactly. So next we got mailbag. Woohoo! Special mailbag, if I remember correctly. Um, not as special as the previous mailbags, but pretty special. And Lord Alfred Hayes was particularly hoping for a special mailbag delivery, which he did not. He kind of got a surprise mail delivery. So question one: Why she had to say she was a brunette? I don't know. I guess she wanted the digits. 
Woods, but Burnett Woman wants to meet Hulk Hogan. Vince didn't know how they would meet Hulk Hogan. He's everywhere, and it's difficult. What I got out of that is he's worldly. He tells her to write. They do the best that they could. And yeah, she should write. Isn't that what she's doing right now, Vince? I don't know. That, that was my question, too. He's a bit right, be sure. <laughs> I guess she needs to write the TNT again with her more information, I guess, on how to find her. Yes, please include Polaroids and other stuff that will actually make this go to somebody besides no one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And question number two was, when will we be having another feature on Mr. Wonderful? I was wondering the same thing, actually. I was thinking, did Paul Orndorff write this? <laughs> or was it Mean Gene still looking for that special interview? Well, I hope we get that special interview eventually. <laughs> think of wish in one hand kind of thing. I don't think it's going to happen. But it appears that uh, it's hard to have repeat stars as they are very busy, but he is sure that Mr. Wonderful will pop up again. Yep, I would say we'll give him three episodes, maybe two. Yeah, definitely. He should be there. And that is the mailbag segment. Yep, only two questions. And we come back to the studio with Ace Freeman. This was a very old wrestler from back in the day. And he speaks about the wrestlers that are starting to come out of college and school now they seem to be less aggressive and smarter to the business versus when he was coming up and he started where the wrestlers were much more aggressive and less known to the business so they take us to a tag match and first thing i noticed in this tag match was the longest tag rope i've ever seen i don't know if they were that long back then or they're just like uh just put a jump rope here then it'll work but yeah it was super long it was like hanging off the side of the apron it was crazy but after i got past that and was able to figure out who his tag team partner was because they didn't tell us anything about his tag partner. It was Victor Rivera that one of the people they were facing, granted the footage wasn't great and you couldn't see everything clearly, but they were facing the Mongols and one of the Mongols might look familiar, probably even more familiar if we have HD. He was Pipo Monglo and he was actually on the show a little bit later to guess? No, go ahead. I don't know. I have a clue. Nikolai Volkov. A young Nikolai Volkov was one of the Mongols. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah, we get to see him twice. Nice. Vince is like, huh? Footage is crappy. No one's going to notice that's the same guy. Let's show him twice in the same episode. Definitely. So yep, they showed him twice. Once in one gimmick and once in his more modern 1984 thing people remember him for gimmick. Wow, good for him. That's awesome. Now one thing I did notice about this match was... Uh, there was definitely no commentary at all. And it seemed like the sound effects from the time that the wrestler hit the ring and then the crowd reaction was pretty far apart. So I wasn't sure if that was the technical difficulties that they were referring to, which is why they had had they cut the episode in half or what was going on with that. But that kind of really threw me off from enjoying the match. Could possibly be the new Japanese sound guy they hired. Ah, it's always the new guys. Came straight from Kung Fu movies to do wrestling. Still hard to find good help. Yes, even in 84. <laughs> so the match proceeds, and at the end, Ace Freeman loses. So this is the second guest that we had that loses the match, as far as a guest on TNT. Yeah, it's nostalgia. No one cares. But the match ends with Ace's tag partner actually cutting a front flip onto the mat, like a gymnast would do. And I'll assume that it just knocked the wind out of him, because he hit flat back on that 
up, Matt. And by the time Ace could get over those long ropes you were mentioning in to break the count, the ref already hit three. Thank you, Victor Rivera. Definitely. Only him and SD could have teamed up. That would have been one heck of a tag team. I was going to say, he's no SD, but... <laughs> Yeah, SD. Oh, man, I wish she was on this one. Almost definitely. Most definitely. So next we have the mailbag delivery guy, the Haiti kid. So Vince starts speaking with a Haiti kid, and we find out that he has been to over 72 countries during his time wrestling, and also that the referee usually gets in the way nine times out of ten because he is very fast and very strong. The referee doesn't have time to move out of the way, and he has to improvise doesn't have to deal with the referee the way he does. Seems like they have referee spots for these matches, and I'd like to point out that the M, as in Mary, word was used a lot, left and right. No PC in the 80s, folks. Well, you didn't need to be PC. <laughs> but we'll save that conversation for another day for another podcast. Simpler times. And for some reason, Gorilla Monsoon seems to be our designated commentator for these matches, as I've learned from future episodes it's like what you again dang yeah i can't wait to see i haven't buried too much into the future interested to see that well you think you are but (laughs) wait till you see it so this match we get haiti kid versus as i like to say big show of the midgets dan carpenter this guy's huge i was sort of wondering if that was an actual little person or not whenever the haiti kid was wrestling is that a kid is that a 12 year old versus midget one thing i didn't like about the match those types of matches the little people wrestling is they really pawn it off as a sideshow no one will say well they don't take it seriously that's for sure but it's just a joke i guess you could say it's not so much a a wrestling match itself so many teasers for episode nine (laughs) tune in folks tune in yeah for sure they don't take it seriously i'm sure they don't make them do some of the spots that they do but these were ridiculous this match had nail biting literally nail biting butt biting literally someone's butt was being bit by someone else and just more shenanigans like that one kick out the ref gets pinned by the wrestler and the other wrestler counts one two three it was just benny hill all the way around I like Benny Hill, but this was not. I don't know. I was expecting, I guess, a little more sports. <laughs> yeah, you sort of go into a mindset with the other guys completely against the other wrestler, not that they team up to gang the referee. Yeah, it's more entertainment in this match than sports, that's for sure. You'd really have to disbelieve for this. It's like Harlem Globetrotters of wrestling or something. Yeah. Maybe it catered more towards kids. I don't know. On a side note, Haiti Kid did later on play Mini Mr. T when Mr. T was in WWF, so he will be around for a while. Oh, neat. Yeah. So the finish comes after an airplane spin for the win. That pretty much sums up the whole match. Yes, that's... Just move on. That was just a disappointment. Total. So unfortunately, next is another disappointing wrestler, (laughs) in my opinion. America's favorite wrestler, or at least Chris Beaver's favorite wrestler. That's the only person I know that will claim that. Tito Santana versus 
versus Rene Goulet. Mr. Goulet. Our second encounter with Mr. Michael Jackson glove wearing loaded or not loaded. Pretty sure not loaded. Yeah, like I said, I don't know where you can fit in a glove like that other than a piece of paper. If it had harsh words written on the piece of paper, it could be for an object. Maybe if he did that move in that John Claude Van Damme movie where he soaks his hands in glue and then gets metal shards on the glove, then maybe it's loaded, but that's kind of obvious. I'm not wanting to point another obvious. I don't foresee Mr. Goulet getting his hands dirty. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I figured out where I knew him from. Later on, I think in the WWF, he becomes one of the security, J&J security type people. Whenever there's trouble, Pat Patterson used to come out, Shane even at one time. I think he played that role. Oh, I'll have to look back and see if there's a white glove somewhere, (laughs) if we can recognize it. What I noticed about this match first, right off the bat, because I've been looking at old WCW rings here lately, because that's what I like to do in my spare time. The ring they were wrestling in kind of looked like an old WCW ring. Had the blue turnbuckles in one corner and the yellow turnbuckle pads in the other, like an old WCW ring had back in the day on some of the rings. Ah, okay. Interesting. Did you find everything outside of this match? I just got the finish. I didn't really see anything bad or great. Oh, I found something great out of this match. Tito actually won legitimately with a one, two, three count. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Flying forearm. Yeah. Hey, look, Goulet took it better than the demon. Yeah, this is true. It looked like a flying punch, but yeah, they said it was a flying forearm. So I'm going with the commentators on that. Definitely. Definitely. There's no room for two Roman Reigns Superman punches. <laughs> only one can do that. It can be only one. Exactly. So when Tito joins the set, we notice he has mariachi band. And we also noticed that for the champion, he never wears the belt. He never has it with him so far out of any interviews or anything on TNT we've seen. I haven't seen him pride and carry the belt, period. Yeah, I also remember him expressing his love for vitamins and that he juices up more once he became the champion off observation that I saw. Yes, and we do notice that Vince and Alfred states that it must be a very mental strain knowing that every time he wrestles, he has to defend that belt. And Tito replies to that after every match that he's learned something new from that opponent. And I'm going to hop on the bandwagon with you saying when Tito knows that he's going to get his butt kicked, he has to disqualify himself to learn how to counter that opponent. Yes, I think it'll really come into play in future episodes that this man is a fraud and like I said before I'm not afraid to say it fraud huh fraud capital F what we're gonna go with yep you'll see the fans will see the listeners will see this man is a fraud Mexican dancers however were okay mariachi band playing the Mexican hat dance or also known as La Cucaracha aha very stereotypical song he's very proud yeah I guess he's very proud of that Vince McMahon does get a delight though when he gets introduced to poor people food yeah he's not very humbled no what do you call this a a tuca a Taco? Can you blend it? Can you drink it? They go to Mexican culture, which now includes dancers and, if you can't sing, food. So they went with that route. We get introduced to Mexican food, in case you've never been to a Taco Bell before, or any Mexican restaurant. Who knows? 84, maybe they weren't popular. Now they're everywhere. Yeah, I did notice that Alfred Hayes didn't really have a huge affinity for the food as he tosses the hard burritos on the floor. Yes. Trying to show it 
to the camera. He is not a burrito man. Which I could see that. Although they did have beans, and over there in England, they eat beans every meal. Much like our Hispanic people of the South. That's why I was surprised that he threw it on the ground, but he just wasn't feeling it, I don't guess. I guess not. We get a little bit of dancing, and then they come back to Vince and company eating and bobbing as they eat. I'm a fan of the bobbing, and Anne was a fan of the eating, though. I'm just glad that Tito knew his limits and didn't try to go out there and sing. No, no, we knew. I knew that wasn't going to happen anyway. But nothing surprised me anymore. <laughs> well, your favorite wrestler, it should. No. And I was really surprised you wasn't disappointed he didn't sing. No, like I said, tune in. It's all come to light. <laughs> so our next match, we got Nikolai Volkov, or Bipo Mongolo, whatever you want to know him as, versus, supposedly, versus S.D. Jones. But I'll go ahead and give the spoiler, and then we can go back. The spoiler is, the winner was... We don't know! They never really even show any of the match. I don't know what the point was. But the little bit that we did see was Vince and Tony. Uh, technical difficulties. I guess. I don't know. I say convenient technical difficulties, but... What we'll assume happen is S.D. Jones loses is because that's usually what happens. I'm there. Yep, I'll vote that. And I believe the next match we have is the spoiler versus Jeff Lang. No spoilers, man. No spoilers. We already talked about this. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I tried to look up about the spoiler because I've never heard of this, guys. Um, I have your answer. Yes. Okay. You tracked it down. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, you can spoil the spoiler. Hold on. Okay. Don Jardine was actually the spoiler. Okay. Did he ever go on to play other mass characters or other roles? He did not. So he had a real life outside of wrestling and didn't want anyone mm. to know that he was a wrestler. Smart man. He was busy training The Undertaker. Undertaker actually trained under Don Jardine. Mean Mean Mark? Yep. I don't know this Undertaker guy you speak of. Yes. Mean Mark. For sure. Ah, okay. Good. And of course, the spoiler wins. Spoiler. <laughs> Be awesome if Jeff Lane beat the spoiler. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> It was uh, Vince and Tony, and I guess now David Wolf is a part of the commentary team because he gave him Cindy Lauper and apparently is a longtime wrestling fan. Expert. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. So, yeah, he joins us on commentary about a few minutes in, and luckily for us, the spoiler wins on The Claw. Oh, yes. The Claw. A little more of a known fact. Mr. Jardine was a Canadian professional wrestler, so we didn't hear too much from him. Might have wrestled for internet. National Wrestling Association up in Montreal. Yeah, didn't get any territories he was a part of. That was just sort of a quick, hey, here's who he is, here's what he's best known for. Okay, get off my website kind of thing. He's <laughs> best known for people not wanting to know anything about him. No spoilers. That's right, it's the best way to do it. No spoilers, no problems. So, comparing this, of course, we have the technical difficulty, so we really couldn't fully give it a comparison to prior episodes, but minus the Tito and the Batera, I think it was pretty decent. It was no episode seven, but... No, it was not. It was a pretty good watch if you have 30 minutes, because they cut half of it all. If you need a commercial break from Raw or something, just slide this right in there, you're good to go. Or if you want to see some little people go at it, and interestingly, definitely, this is the TNT for you. And probably future ones coming up as well. Women are being replaced by people that work cheaper. That's horrible. I think I like that. No Shadamas. Definitely don't like that, but it is what it is. So we knew going into this the technical difficulty, so we did a little quiz and we're going to add that to this episode and see how we did and see how you did. Put the link out there on our Facebook and you guys can take it along with us and see how you did. And if you do well, leave us some comments.
Barnes. If you don't do well and you're not afraid, leave us some comments. Let us know. Don't say you did well and didn't do well. Yeah, don't be a Batera. Don't be a Tito. Don't be a fraud. <laughs> Message from Batera on people that do that. A lot of them are arrogant. Uh, they're obnoxious. And I like to get down to the point that there are a lot of uh, they're, uh, uh, idiots. But Tara's feelings on people that do that, not mine. Actually, that was his thoughts on referees and McDonald's employees. Yeah. And people that say they did get on a quiz, even though they didn't. He pretty much talked about it all. It was good. Good interview. Don't be an idiot. I guess that's what he wants to say. Pretty much. Ready to play a game? A little trivia quiz on WWF and 1984. I have my tokens ready. Bosley. Let's test your 1984 WWF history and see if you know your onions in this 15-question trivia quiz. So, 15 questions, and I've already taken it, but I will give you what my answers were afterwards, and we'll compare and see how we do. I'm ready to do it. Question 1. In January 1984, Hulk Hogan returned after a three-year absence as a surprise enforcer for Bob Backlund. Which legendary tag team did Hogan and Backlund get in a brawl with, in Hogan's return angle? Is it A. The Wild Samoans B. The Executioners. C. The Moon Dogs. D. The Valiant Brothers. What do you think there? I'm going to say... Oof. Yes, before we were watching, so total guess, unless you've been doing more research than I have. We didn't start till May 1984. Hmm. I've never heard of the Executioners. Um, I've heard of the Wild Samoans. Yep. And I've heard of the Moon Dogs. Yep. I don't know about the Valiant Brothers. Yeah, I don't know right off the top of my head either who was in that team. I think I'm going to go with the Wild... Uh, I should go with the Moon Dogs. Okay, so we're going with A. Question two. Question two. January 1984 also saw the arrival of legendary heel Rowdy Roddy Piper, who served as a manager briefly in addition to hosting Piper's Pit. Which of the following stars was never managed by Piper? Is it A. Big John Studd B. The Magnificent Morocco C. Dr. D. David Schultz D. Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. And what do you think on that one? I'm going with Morocco. Magnificent Morocco. Because I know he did manage Paul Orndorff. I've seen that. And he had Dr. D in the Piper's Pit. So I'll assume something happened and he was with Dr. D. He was a very busy guy for the five months before we started watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Big John Stud. I don't remember him having a manager. Could be wrong. All right. I'm going to stick with Morocco. Morocco it is. Question three. Question three. From mid-1983 through early 1984, this masked tag team amazed WWF fans with their teamwork and high-flying abilities. Who were they? Is it A. The Guardians B. The Grapplers C. The Invaders D. The Assassins What you thinking? Hmm. It's even before 84, barely. I don't even know how this one qualifies. Shenanigans. I concur. I want to go with the Assassins. The Assassins it is. Question four? Question four. This eccentric wrestler had a blink and you will miss its stint in the WWF during the late spring of 1984. Managed by Captain Lou Albano, his lone highlight was defeating S.D. Jones in his televised debut. Who was this star? Is it A. Kendo Nagasaki B. Bruiser Brody C. Bulldog Buzz Sawyer 
D. Abdullah the Butcher. Well, not shocking that he was defeating S.D. Jones, but (laughs) who do you think that might be? Someone we didn't see. I'm guessing spring for 1984 would be March, April, not the end of May. Uh, I'm going to go with um, some dragging me toward Bulldog. Buzz Sawyer is your answer. Question five. Question five. On April 17, 1984, in a televised match, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas lost the WWF Tag Team titles to these two legendary superstars. Who were they? Is it A. Adrian Adonis and Jesse the Body Ventura, B. Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater, C. Morris and Paul Vushorn, D. Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. Finally, one we saw on TNT. This is one of those softball gimmies. Yeah, it was definitely Murdoch and Adonis. Thank you, TNT. Question six. Question six. In the spring of 1984, one of the most explosive feuds of all time erupted when the Iranian Iron Sheik declared war on Sergeant Slaughter. What did the Sheik do to Slaughter that started the bloody war? Is it... I spit in Slaughter's face. B. Spit on the American flag. C. Slapped Slaughter in the face. D. Demanded Slaughter move aside so he could walk past him. Ooh, those are two good ones. I'm gonna go with Spit on the American flag. Probably did that in a promo. I was very tempted to be bloody. It's totally different meaning whenever it's Bosley saying it versus one of us. Question 7. Question 7. During Hulk Hogan's first year as WWF champion he made a rather unexpected choice by picking longtime friend and announcer Mean Gene Okerlund as his tag team partner. Who did Okerlund and Hogan face in this tag team match? Is it A. Mr. Fuji and the Magnificent Morocco B. George the Animal Steel and Mr. Fuji C. Roddy Piper and Bob Orton D. Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. Kind of a spoiler. Mm. I don't think we got to this yet. Well, I know we haven't got to this yet, but who knows if it's going to be on TNT or not. Hulk Hogan's got to be. Well, as far as I know, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch were the tag team champions. But would you want Mean Gene as your partner to face them? Well, would you want Mean Gene as your partner facing anybody is the question. Maybe. If I wanted to teach Gene a lesson. I'll go with, well, I guess if you think about it, Mean Gene does do the interviews, so he should have the inside scoops. So you really shouldn't lose in theory much face sd jones not if it's a tag match no he would even tag in gene gene would be fine oh yeah i'm gonna go with donis and dick murdoch again donis and dick murdoch for the tag team lisa this time titles question eight question eight on july 23rd 1984 in madison square garden history was made when young star wendy richter who was managed by rock sensation Cindy Lauper, defeated the fabulous Moolah for the WWF women's title. How many years had Moolah held the title for up to that point? Is it A. 29 years B. 23 years C. 27 years D. 13 years. Another softball question, unless you're Captain Lou, the technical advisor. No, I feel like Lou. Um... I remember it's in the 20s. I think it's 23, I believe. Come on with 23. I believe that was it. 23. Question 9. Question 9. In late 1984, Andre the Giant suffered the biggest humiliation of his career, up to that point when John Studd, Ken Petra, and the infamous Bobby Heenan cut off most of his hair after a tag team match. Who had been Andre's partner for the match? <laughs> Is it 
Attorney Griar. B. Chief J. Strongbow. C. Ivan Putsky. D. S.D. Jones. Uh, well, we hadn't watched this yet. We have already covered some of it in an earlier podcast. I believe we talked about it in episode one. Yes, we did. And it was S.D. Jones. S.D. Causing a man to lose his hair. Special delivery. Question 10. Question 10. On September 24th, 1984, Greg the Hammer Valentine defeated Tito Santana to win the WWF Intercontinental title. The champion Santana entered the contest injured and by competing only made the injury worse. What was the nature of his injury? Is it A. Cracked ribs B. Separated shoulder C. Torn ligaments in his knee D. Broken ankle What was his injury? I should know this. A little bit of a spoiler here, but we all knew Tito was going to keep the belt forever. Guy never can get a three count. They need a three count. And that's why I lost. Blamed it on the injury, but we know the reason. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a broken ankle. Um, I want to say it's a separated shoulder. Going for separated shoulder. Number 11. Question 11. Ironically, the same evening in August 1984 that Santana was injured by Valentine, the popular Jimmy Superfly Snooker suffered a broken neck at the hands of Roddy Piper. What did Piper begin calling himself after doing this? Is it A. The Slayer B. The Boss C. The Legend Killer D. The Big Cheese Oh, it wasn't Legend Killer because Valentine was not a legend at that time. Well, this is Snooker and Piper. They were just saying that it was the same evening in August, even though the other question said September. So I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But yeah, so this is Superfly Snooker, Broken Neck, The Hands of Piper. Oh, then he is the legend killer. Yes, yes, yes. That is right. Pretty sure I'm right. Going with legend killer and not the boss. Because we all know that's a woman wrestler. I would have liked it to be the big cheese, though. That would have been funny. Question 12. Question 12. In the fall of 1984, this eccentric newcomer made his WWF debut. He would parade among the crowd or pose for the fans while others competed in the ring. Who was this stuck-up superstar? Is it... A. Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff B. Randy Macho Man Savage C. Playboy Buddy Rose D. Brutus Beefcake So, key one in here's debut. We haven't got to the fall of 84, so someone we haven't seen. So there's three we haven't seen of the four options. I don't remember a Beefcake being a douche because of his name. Uh, who knows when he first appeared. I'd go with Randy Macho Man Savage. He seems like something he would do. Going with Randy Macho Man Slim Jim Savage. Question 13. Question 13. In the summer of 1984, manager Freddie Blassie brought the Ugandan giant Kamala to the WWF for a short but memorable stint. In order to prove his savage nature what did Blassie order Kamala to do on a segment of TNT? Is it A. Eat a live chicken B. Eat a bowl of live fish C. Eat a small kitten D. Eat a rotted animal carcass. Here we get to look forward to an episode eight. Good times. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with eat a live chicken. Eat a live chicken. Number 14. Question 14. In the spring of 1984, this tough youngster made his WWF debut. 
being the very first graduate of Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Corps. Who was this? Is it? I Spike Huber. B. Terry Daniels. C. Corporal Kirchner. D. Private Jim Nelson. Layup. Should be an easy one for you. I believe that was Mr. Terry Daniels. Yeah, I believe Corporal Klinger was the only other person to later join the Corps. And the last question. Question 15. In the summer of 1984, muscular superstars Jesse the Body Ventura and Ivan Putsky became involved in a heated feud. The feud started when Ventura challenged Putsky to a certain contest and then attacked him. What contest did these two compete in? Is it A. A pose down B. A weightlifting contest C. An arm wrestling match D. A push-up contest Layup I do believe that was an arm wrestling contest that they had. Thank you, episode 7. Of course, it is kind of a trick question. It could be two of them, because it did do a pose down. But yeah, I'm guessing they're looking for a wrestling match as well. Partial credit? Yeah, bonus. Woohoo. If you put down both, I guess. I don't know. So, let's see how you did. Keep in mind the average score for this quiz is 8 out of 15. And the difficulty is said to be tough out of the 165 people that have taken it. Let's see how you did. Jeff, out of 15 questions, you got 8 right for 53.3% right. The average for this quiz. Well done, sir. 8 out of 15, so you are on the average of what people got. Full transparency, my new favorite word. We are doing this after episode 7, so there's stuff on here we have no idea about because we hadn't watched it yet. And there's stuff on here that we never saw because we didn't start watching in January. So with that in mind, I think you did pretty good. I also missed number 1. I also remember that I put the moon dogs on there, so yeah, I had no clue either. I also missed missed number three and i believe i also said the assassins because it was the only other people that i've actually kind of heard of and i missed number six you also missed i said spitting on the flag because it seemed more possible than the other ones on there should have went with the mm. longest answer like my second guess usually if it's that long it's usually the right answer and the next one i missed was 13 but you got seven wrong it was Fuji! and George the Animal Steel. No doubt set up from the little bit that we saw from Black Saturday. And you should be a technical advisor for Moolah because it was 27 years and you got that one wrong with 23. And the wrestling one that you missed is 10. Tito Santana's injury. Usually they go with torn ligaments in the knee or torn ligaments period over separations or stuff you can actually kind of prove. So that kind of just went knowledge on that of what they like to always say. I had no clue either. I would have guessed that if the knee wasn't an option. Yeah, I should have figured moving forward that that's all they used is the knee. Yep, it's always the knee. Seems to be a recovery that's pretty quick to recover from. Yep, in the late 90s it was always the ribs. They'd have a guy out there, Diamond Dallas Page or something, tape his ribs up. And the 12th one, you got that one wrong. It was actually Brutus Beefcake. Apparently he was very eccentric when he made his debut. I believe he had a manager at the time, so maybe that had something to do with it. He lost the manager, and he did better. I think Shawn Michaels picked him up. did have that cool segment on Superstars. I remember the, the barber shop, and that's when, unfortunately, Shawn Michaels got rid of Marty Jannetty, and the Rockers were no more. I really think that's when Beefcake shined. <laughs> 
just got out of the way and said, yeah, throw him through there. Cool. Please throw him through my window. I need the camera. Yeah, it would be my most memorable moment of all time. And you got 13, right? I wish I could remember what I put for 13. Oh, I said the fish because it's like, well, the smell one's already had a fish out there once. So I got 13 wrong and you got that one right with the live chicken. Can't wait for episode eight. I just remember seeing a chicken somewhere. I didn't remember where, but I was pretty sure they wouldn't use the same animal twice. No, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. So you got eight right and I missed one, two, three, four, five. So I got 10 right, but like I said, they were pure guesses. So I say you did good and you also got the average what most people get. Maybe some of our listeners want to take the challenge. If so, when we air this game, we will put the link out there and you guys can take the WWF and 1984 quiz and hopefully see if you can do better than us. Beat the host. Let us know what you scored. Drop us a comment on one of our social medias. Give us your score or send us an email or even leave us a voicemail on our tagline. Yeah. And thanks for playing. What do we got to look forward to next week? Next week. Lord, be episode number nine, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. It should be an action-packed episode, and I believe we will have Ooh. Wendy Richter, Freddie Blassie, Arnold Skolan, and the incredible worldwide Hulk Hogan. Immortal, worldly, incredibly busy, but not this week. Could fit us in on the schedule. Hope that Burnett's watching Hulk Hogan. Oh, I'm sure the brunette behind the microphone at the little table's watching. <laughs> So, pretty packed little show there, I guess. We got woman's champ, men's champ, guy that used to manage a champ, and a guy that also used to manage a champ, and Arnold Scullin and Bob Backlund. So, yeah, seems like a championship week. I'm sure somehow, magically, we'll have an IC title probably on uh, the line. Oh, no. Not Tito. Yeah, two weeks, back-to-back. He found time to do some matches. Awesome. Well, we will see what happens. Yes, we will. And don't say I didn't warn you guys. What do you? won't you keep touching my leg now with that thank you for listening to the tag team podcast tell your friends tell your friends friends tell your family tell your family of your friends and your friends family to download the tag team podcast follow us on social media on facebook facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast on twitter at tag team podcast on google plus the tag team podcast Email us at the tag team podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on the tagline 6016544 tag that's 6016544824. You can also listen on SoundCloud by searching the tag team podcast. Thank you for listening to the tag team podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. How did you possibly, I mean, can you imagine Dick Worley who looked around and looked between his legs and saw your face <laughs> upside down between his legs? Was it as scary for you as it was for him? Well, it was scary for me. <laughs> <laughs>